episode 115, Kelly Cutchin, U.S. Country Manager at Money Corp. CEO asked the same question on the spot, went around the table saying, what was your um, biggest mistake, actually? I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, and more, go to markgraben.com slash mistake115. As the podcast audience continues to grow, you're a big part of that. Please share the episode today with a friend or a colleague. Thanks. Now, here's the episode. Our guest today is Kelly Cutchin. She is the country manager at MoneyCorp, a global currency exchange leader, and she's helped many Americans make overseas investments. Kelly has over a decade of experience in the former uh, the foreign exchange industry, my mistake, uh, she joined Money Corp in 2006 as the first American employee. So joining us from Orlando, Kelly Cutchin. Kelly, hi, how are you? Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. So I'd be excited to hear your story and then we'll delve into you know topics that you know well, this idea of um, potentially retiring overseas or making overseas investments. I think we can learn a lot from that. Um, but first off, you know, Kelly, what would you say, looking at, at your career and your work, what is your favorite mistake? I'm so glad that you asked, Mark. So it's it's kind of a funny story, actually. But um, first, I'll start by just saying I was invited to a kind of fancy dinner by my CEO, and it was a, a table we were all sat at with various executives. And my CEO asked the same question on the spot, went around the table saying, what was your um, biggest mistake, actually? Mm-hmm. And there were some really good um, stories going around and it got to me and I thought, oh, okay, I'll tell this story about when I had my first job in high school. I was a hostess at a local um, Italian restaurant and a couple walked in the front door and they approached the other hostess that was working with me and they said, you know, out of curiosity, is your um, menu served a la carte? And I sort of pushed the other hostess out of the way because I knew the answer to this question and she didn't look like she did. And I said, actually, no, everything on our menu is not served with ice cream. <laughs> and they quickly turned around and uh, and left the building and did not dine with us. So oh. I quickly realized that a la carte and a la mode are very different. Um, but that's kind of the, the funny story. So at that dinner table, it definitely made everyone laugh. But My CEO actually went on to tell this story about how he previously worked for the Mars company. And uh, the mistake that he made was he accidentally pressed a button that like shut down production on the blue M&M for a period of time that ended up costing um, the business a substantial amount of money. So anyway, I learned two things in that moment. One was you don't need to know everything, right? It's okay to not know the answer to every question. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, other people that you're sitting at the dinner table with probably have a mistake that was bigger and more embarrassing. So um, it's okay to make mistakes. Let it out. Well, well, yeah, that's that's one of our themes here on the podcast is being open about that. Um, 
you know, I have a little flub at the beginning. I tend not to edit those out. Maybe it's laziness, but some of it is like, okay, well, fine. We don't need this veneer of uh, perfection on everything, but you know, it's your, your story. I mean, that, 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 that is a funny, cute story. Cause like, I can imagine like the confidence of a younger person of like, I, <laughs> I know the answer. And I think I literally pushed her out of the way. Like, <laughs> I know this, no need for you. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm curious your thoughts on kind of like this broader point. I, I don't know if you've seen it with others as you've progressed in your career or even people you you work with. Like there's this interesting dynamic of like when we're a new learner, we tend to overstate uh, our, our knowledge or mm-hmm. our confidence to doing something. It's called uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect is sort of a, a formal name for this. I mean, have, have you seen this at other times in, in your career or in working with people where you have to sort of correct them in, in their overconfidence that might not be fully correct? Constantly, just because an individual went through a specific situation when buying an overseas property doesn't mean that they can give the correct advice to their neighbor that's doing effectively the same thing, right? Because so many things are just specific about the specific buyer. Why are they buying overseas? You know, um, what's their tax obligations globally? And so it is important to make people go, okay, it's fine to share your experience, but definitely make sure that the person you're talking to is willing to do their own due diligence to make sure they're making the right decision for themselves. Yeah. Um, it's just one, one other follow-up question comes to mind about your story. Like I'm, I'm trying to picture, imagine like the, the confused looks on that couple's face. Did, did they try to correct you or were they just somehow just like, what? Nah, I'm just, we'll go we're done. Else. No, they, they did a, a pivot and exited the building. And, um, I think immediately after I had said it, I kind of realized what I had done, but then we just broke into laughter and that story has been retold many, many times over the years because it's just funny. And it was just a teenage mistake. And, you know, it was, it's a constant reminder to me now when I'm giving presentations to to realtors and brokers around the world, that it's okay to not know everything, but it's very important to have the resources in your toolkit so that you can make these introductions to your clients. So they're making sound decisions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I agree that is a powerful thing in a culture when leaders are willing to say, I don't know. And when they're willing to accept, I don't know as an answer, instead of people faking it, you can say, I don't know, let's go find out. Is this new idea going to work? I don't know. Let's try it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I think that's, that's just generally a really healthy thing to try to build. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was wondering, you know, it, it would make you know that story funny if you you know if what had happened is you had shoved that other hostess out of the way and then she came back in to correct you (laughs) sort of like if you watch the office um oscar's notorious for his well actually you know moments if she had turned like well actually uh a la mode kelly is uh is ice cream (laughs) i think she couldn't believe what was happening before her eyes so it was just it was done at that point we just moved along but I, my my and as you were and last last thing about that part of the story, um, like my mind was starting to wonder, like, is she going to say like they asked a la carte, and I thought you were going to say like, no, everything served on a plate, <laughs> than another. No, better yet, everything is served with a scoop of ice cream. <laughs> it's kind of life, though. I wish everything was 
served <laughs> a la mode. <laughs> um, one, one of the questions back to the story of your CEO at the time, you know, having um, the vulnerability to tell that story. I mean, how, how did can, you have other thoughts? You shared a little bit, but, you know, kind of reactions to the CEO's willingness to admit something that was bigger, that was more embarrassing. And I think that he truly, by asking us that question, he knew that it was going to be an icebreaker. And he knew that he had this story that was far grander on the scale of what any of us could (laughs) Mm. kind of say. And yet, you know, amusing at the same time. So um, I think that he did use it to just start the dinner, make everyone take a deep breath, let's have a, let's enjoy this time together, know that we all make mistakes, none of us are perfect. So I actually um, took a lot away from that meeting, you know, someone that I really looked up to like that, putting his story or his kind of vulnerability on the line like that, making me realize it's okay to make mistakes. And it's even more so it's okay to laugh about them. Yeah. So our, and, you know, in what ways do you, you know, as, as country manager at Money Corp, try to create an environment like that? You know, the people that work uh, for you, work with you. So one of the things that we have in our office is um, we don't have any barriers, which, of course, in the days of COVID is probably a you know big no-no. And when we go back to the office, we might have to think about differences in the future. But we've always had a very open concept in our office so we can overhear each other's conversations not only so that we can learn from each other but we can correct each other and we can can laugh when somebody says something you know that is comical so we've always just had that environment in our office very open um you know it's funny how working in that environment you can tone everything out right if you need to focus and block it all out you can Um, but if you're able to hear other people's conversations, it just really can help you to this day. I've been with money Corp for 16 years and there isn't a day really that goes by that. I don't learn something from what other people have said, or that I don't have the opportunity to help somebody else learn a better way to approach a situation or better advice that we could have given a customer to make their life easier. So that open concept in an office environment is is a great environment overall, I think, for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, at the risk of it being my own Oscar from the office moment, you know, my, my well actually about the barriers, like, I think what they've learned now is what, what matters more is good airflow yes. or opening windows. So in Orlando, certain times of year, I've lived there before, eh, you're not going to open the windows, but maybe you just need to have the air conditioning on blast. Yeah, we're on we're in a office building that we can't actually open the windows, although maybe they'll think about designing buildings where you can at least crack a window in the future. So yeah. Yeah. Well but but not in the, but 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 not in the Orlando summertime though. No, there's very few um you know times of year that I would suggest opening the window. A couple weeks, I guess, but really not not too often. We have offices in New York and Rhode Island, and they're already talking about, you know, oh, let's open the window, let's get some fresh air in. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be 90 today. It's pretty muggy. Yeah, let's right. let's keep the AC on. Crocodile might wander in. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a funny story about that too, actually, but maybe for another day. Uh, okay. It's up to you if you... If- <laughs> Uh, well, I, 
I'm happy to elaborate on what I mean there. I was speaking to a lady from Australia, actually, that was um, considering buying a property in Florida. And she was just about to kind of sign the contract and make this deal happen. And she said, I know you're an Orlando, Florida native. I just have to ask, do crocodiles roam your front yard? And I said, no, absolutely not. You know, I've seen a couple gators in my life when I was out on the lake or something, but but no, I don't, it's not a daily occurrence that I see an alligator. And she said, okay, I'm so glad that you told me that. And she said, well, just so you know, in case you're wondering, kangaroos don't jump around in my front yard either. And I was like, oh, touche, that is so, so true. Yeah. That of course my, you know, mind is thinking there's kangaroos and koala bears like climbing up the trees in your front yard, but yeah. So my my most recent recent mistake was saying crocodile there instead of alligator. So you right. tell I was an interloper through Orlando, but at my wife's workplace on their property there was a pond and there were occasionally some alligator sightings. Sure, so it does. It does. Just happen. don't feed them. Right, and I was thinking before it's final thought before we we turn and talk more about your work. You're, you're, uh, I did have a guest previously um, who told a story here on my favorite mistake about it was a crocodile. So maybe that's part of my. Mix up. Uh, Ron McGill from Zoo Miami, a zoologist, told the story of how when he was young, he was being a little bit careless and he got his hand really bit badly by a crocodile. And uh, the the positive that came out of that was that one of the caregivers, one of the nurses, ended up uh, becoming his wife. So that was kind of a cute. There you go. Story as that. Never know. You never know. But stay away from the gators and the crocs. Yeah. So at, at Money Corp, Kelly, I'm curious to, to hear, I know you've got some thoughts and stories about mistakes people make. Maybe first off, just you know, uh, doing an investment overseas before we talk about the bigger plunge about retiring and moving overseas. What, what are some things that can happen or mistakes you try to prevent when people want to invest overseas? Sure. So there's actually so many that I'll just give you like a sprinkling of some of the common mistakes that we see occur. Um, first and foremost, people don't do their research. And when they're making a property purchase and you know spending so much money on something, you'd think that everyone's going to really understand the entire process. But a lot of people don't. It's knee-jerk reactions. It's people um, thinking that they're doing everything correctly because they're doing what their friend did, but actually realizing in hindsight that there was a much better way of doing things. So first and foremost, I'll say... Um, Clients think that their banks are the best way to transfer money internationally. And I think we'll all realize that we need our banks, right? We need our checking accounts. We need our debit cards. We, we need a savings account. So the banks are definitely useful for, for products that we need. But when it comes to transferring money globally, the it's a tiny little department and it is not their specialty. So unfortunately... Uh, the banks don't offer good exchange rates. And had somebody known that they should shop around to make sure that they're getting the best possible rate of exchange, they would have never used their bank to make that international transfer. So first and foremost, shop around just like you would shop around for a car or a TV or another you know, expensive product to make sure that you're getting the, the best price. Buying currency, you also need to shop around for the best price. So that's kind of the, the first big mistake that I see clients make. 
So I, I wouldn't say I've done overseas investing, but there are two things that come to mind. One, I guess I'll just ask a question of um, when I've done international speaking engagements or, or you know, I've We'll, we'll get paid uh, through a wire transfer, or, and then there's inevitably uh, exchange rates. Is, is there anything I could do on that side, like on the receiving end of a tra- transaction? Because I just think of my bank as, uh, as the default. Are there other or better ways to even just receive a payment that way? Yeah, you can. I mean, Money Corp would be a solution to that as well. So we not only help people make global payments, but we can certainly help people receive global payments, right? So you can receive euros into your MoneyCorp account and then use a currency broker like ourselves to convert those funds into US dollars and then make that deposit into your local bank. What you see at your statement, on your statement, when you send or receive money internationally, you might see a transaction fee or an international wire fee. That's what is known as like the up front um, the transparent cost. But the real profit that the bank is making off of your transaction is actually on the hidden fee, which is the exchange rate itself. So um, the, the fee is is nothing, right? The fee might be $25, $50 to make or receive an international transfer. But on a, you know, a $200,000 transaction, it's not uncommon that the bank is making thousands of dollars on the actual exchange rate itself. And that seems like a really high margin, making a lot for doing relatively little. Yeah. So there's something known as, as like the interbank rate of exchange, which is the true rate that the big banks are buying and selling millions of dollars at. But when they go to sell it to you, they tack on a margin or a spread of typically around 4%, right? And it's different wherever you go. So Canadian banks, not so bad. Their margins are 2 3%. Uh, Europe margins are 3 4%. But U.S. banks are typically taking a margin of anywhere from like 5 to sometimes 10%. Oh, my gosh. So they're making massive profits on these foreign exchange transactions. But you think you're just paying $35. Yeah. Um. There, there's a dynamic. Um, I mean, I've got advice at some point. Like, if you're doing an international trip, don't exchange money at the airport. I'm not going to name names of, of of these companies. I don't know if they directly compete with you or not. That I've got either gotten money from my local bank, or you just take money out of an ATM in the foreign country. But either way, you feel like I'm I'm probably not really getting my full money out. Like it seems like if I were to take $500 and exchange it there at the airport into let's say British pounds and then exchange it back into dollars, I'm getting less than $500 back. That's that that spread or that hidden margin that you're talking about, right? Yeah, and if you want to talk about another kind of biggest mistake, hand up. I exchanged currency at a Mexican hotel before, so trust me, I'm sure I got a nasty margin on that transaction. But the retail locations, like the ones you'd find in the airport or in the mall, they're for convenience. So their margins are going to be higher. I mean, think about it. If you're going to rent space in an airport, your monthly expenses are through the roof. So you've got to cover your your costs, right? So the um, the cost is built into the price that they sell the currency to you at. So Retail foreign exchange is one thing. Doing bigger international 
wire transfers is another business and the margin should be substantially less than what you'd see in an airport. And if they're not, you need to run because there's definitely a better way to do things. Yeah. Cause it seems like now, you know, if we're not talking $500 of company, if there's hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, this is where it seems like the effort to help facilitate that transaction doesn't scale proportionally to the, no. to the dollars involved. That's correct. A similar thing with buying a house. The percentages to realtors are pretty much the same, whether a house is $200,000 or $600,000. Yeah, there's a pretty standardized commission there. Mm -hmm. So I think good lesson, Kelly, first off, whether it's an individual or a business looking to um, do currency exchanges, shop around, try to figure out where you can get um, a good rate and um, in other ways, do your research. Um, I'd be curious to hear some of your thoughts or experiences with people who want to retire overseas. I mean, like, first off, do you, do you have a sense, like, is, is this a growing trend? Like, people you talk to, where, where are people retiring to uh, outside of the U.S.? I love that question. So in my uh, time with Money Corp, I've seen a lot of things change, right? So in the early 2000s, we were dealing predominantly with British and Canadian customers that were buying vacation homes here in Central Florida, right? Everybody wanted a piece of the Sunshine State. And, you know, those types of buyers still exist. But over my last two, three years with the company, we have significantly seen a change. And it is Americans considering investing abroad. Lots and reasons behind that, some political, some for lots of other reasons. But of course, one of those reasons is because we've all realized that we can work remotely. So do I want to be here in California or would I rather live in Portugal and still work for my company remotely? Um, They can certainly sell their property because of the market here in the US for decent price right now. Plus the exchange rate is promoting uh, foreign investment. So to answer your question, where are Americans considering going? Um, The two that I deal with the most are Americans buying in Paris, which might be surprising to some. And the other one is Portugal. So Paris and Portugal seem to keep me pretty busy with American investors. But of course, then there's tons of other ones on the tier below that, right? You've got a lot of Americans that um, love to retire in the Caribbean, uh, Panama, but but Europe's really got a pretty good thing going on right now for American investors. So, are there within the context of that, uh, you know, more interest and in, and in more retirement overseas? Are, are there mistakes that you see people making? Are there mistakes you help people avoid or prevent? Lots, and two things come to mind. First and foremost is that people don't consider the fact that exchange rates fluctuate constantly. And it's not year to year or month to month or week to week. It's minute by minute. The exchange rates fluctuating constantly. So if you're going to look for a property right now and you have a budget in your mind, you should talk to somebody that can work with you about potentially locking into the exchange rate. That way you eliminate the risk of the rate moving against you between now and the actual time that you facilitate that purchase. So an example, I worked with a client before, they were looking at a property. It was a a British customer buying here in the States. The exchange rate was one British pound equal to $1.47. 
Um, the very next week when they did their transfer for that $300,000 property, the rate had fallen to 1.40. So just because they waited a week to do that transfer, that same house cost them 10,000 pounds more. And it could have been avoided, avoided. They could have locked into the rate and eliminated that risk altogether. So that's one mistake that I see people make is not consider locking into the rate when it's favorable. The second uh, thing would be around people leaving the country before they have their finances in order. So there's lots of policies and rules that the banks sometimes seem to make up as they go. But nowadays, it is very unlikely for an American bank or any bank for that matter to allow you to send money internationally without actually walking into the branch and signing mm -hmm. a piece of paper that says, I need to move X amount of money to a bank account in Paris. So what happens is these people plan for months and months at a time to go view properties in Europe. They get on their plane, they leave, they find the property of their dreams. They need to make an immediate deposit and they contact their bank here in the U.S. and the bank says, okay, we'll make that transfer for you. What time are you coming into the branch to sign the paper? And then they're not planning on coming home for three weeks. That property gets taken by another buyer. So it's really important that they have these conversations before you board the plane because they could have transferred um, money into their Money Corp account so that it was ready to go if they found something, or they can at a minimum at least have that conversation with the bank to see if there's any special note they need to put on their account so that they can have access to their money while they're not in the country. That's a big one. Wow. Yeah, because I can see there are fraud protections in place. Um, you know, make sure people aren't somehow getting scammed, especially when it, when it, when, yeah, it seems like international transactions are considered riskier. Um, that's, that's a really good thought. Cause I mean, even just buying a house locally in the United States without currency exchanges, when you think about transfers, that can still be a pain in the neck if you, if you don't Very, have it yeah, all sure. lined up. So mm -hmm. internationally, and I imagine the complexity and the stress of that is even worse. Yeah. And it's not only for buyers, right? Because one of the unfortunate things that we've seen throughout COVID is a lot of uh, foreign owners, right? A lot of those Brits and Canadians that purchased these homes 10, 20 years ago that have now gone, all right, I can't actually get to Florida right now because of COVID to stay in my vacation home. Uh, the price, I can sell my property for a lot. It makes sense. Plus the value of the dollar. So a lot of these foreign owners throughout COVID have decided to sell, which is great and a fantastic return for them. However, at some point, the closing company or that title company is going to ask the seller, where do you want us to put your dollars at the time of closing? And this is key. If they say or they do not get the correct advice, they're going to perhaps think, oh, we'll just put my money into my American bank account. I'll worry about it tomorrow. The second the title company releases the funds to their American-based bank account, guess what? They're in Germany, their money is here, and that U.S. bank is not going to let them send that transfer. So it's that one instance where they could have easily told the title company something different. They could have said, move my money 
directly to me in Germany, not the best thing, but at least they wouldn't have had to come here or two, send my money into an, a currency account like Money Corp, then the client could have gotten their money back. But now their money is stuck. The bank is just earning interest on it and they can't come and wow. get it. Wow. So they got rid of their property and now they don't have the money back out of it. Gosh. Um, but in that scenario, I'm curious where, let's say someone in Germany has sold and what what is, what is the benefit of having the money go through Money Corp instead of going directly to the bank? You suggested that there are some risks or things that can go wrong trying to do the direct transaction. Exactly. So first and foremost is the actual rate of exchange itself. It's it's They're going to get more bang for their buck if they use a company like Money Corp versus just going bank to bank. Also, there's a lot of times, many people have experience with this, that they've transferred money and the funds kind of go to like la la land for a few weeks. And then they just show up in the destination a few weeks later. That doesn't happen with Money Corp. So everything we do is bank to bank wire transfers. The money comes in, the money goes out. There's no you know, cloud where we can't pinpoint exactly where your money is at any stage of the game. So that's one sense of security, just knowing that. But but the main thing is just the fact that we're going to make sure that they get more euros back into their overseas bank account than if they go straight bank to bank. That's when that margin is going to happen. Mm-hmm. The bank's going to keep, you know, take that 5% margin and they're going to get far less euros than it's rightfully theirs, mm-hmm. which they deserve yeah. to get in return. So seeking the right advice for not only making sure you get more bang for your buck, but so that you can get your bucks back to begin with and not you know, have your money just stuck in an overseas bank account. Yeah. The exchange rates and then the time delays. And it, it's, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling that, you know, electronic money uh, currency is just information and information in the days, you know, the time of the internet should move pretty instantaneously. So these delays and, and that's, it, that's frustrating again, like even locally thinking back to buying a property a year and a half ago, some of this just takes, you just shake your head and say, why does it take so long? Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's a lot of things just in our world that are just still so old school, right? Like doctor's offices still wanting to receive things by fax, right? So it's like banks are still stuck on this out of date technology, whereas we know that it's a code that you send and the money is from there to there. So you're, mm-hmm. you're right. Doesn't um, need to go in limbo for a few weeks. Yeah. And it begs the question if some of that delay is necessary or intentional, and that time holding the money is of value to whoever's holding it, wherever that is, right? Exactly. One, one other question, and I'll ask this not knowing much about, um, let's say, Bitcoin and, and related. Um, uh, monetary vehicles like that. And um, so I'm, I'm not even, uh, I don't even know enough to have Dunning-Kruger syndrome related uh, to Bitcoin. And, and what's the joke about, you know, Bitcoin? How do you know somebody owns Bitcoin? Oh, they've already told you right. that they own Bitcoin. But I bring it up anyway. I mean, does does Bitcoin um, help? Is that something that Money Corp, do people ask about that? Is that something that's helpful or is that just a whole people different thing? The question arises, it's funny, I feel like it's a bit of a wave because two years ago, people called and asked me about 
uh, cryptocurrency constantly. And it does seem to have gone kind of quiet for the last six months. So I don't know what's going on. But unfortunately, um, we don't trade cryptocurrency. So we are dealing with people that have real money in one account and they need to get that real money in a foreign account or they're receiving an inheritance or they're selling their products globally and they're earning wages and they need to transfer them internationally. The the crypto, the regulatory bodies around cryptocurrency aren't yet to the standard of a money service business like Money Corp getting involved with it. So until there's more regulation around it, um, I don't think you'll see many foreign currency providers like ourselves getting too involved with it. Now, with that said, whilst we may not help the individuals that go, oh, I want to put $50 into Bitcoin or whatever it is, we do have the capacity to work with the actual uh, cryptocurrency companies. So the companies themselves that are receiving payment from investors who then need to convert that cash or that currency, those U.S. dollars, into a different foreign currency. We can help with stuff like that. But the individuals that are doing these smaller type transactions, it's not something that we get too involved with. But I know people have success stories about people buying real estate with cryptocurrencies nowadays. So um, I think we will be talking about this subject for many years to come. Because it seems like that takes care of some of the uh, the speed issue. There are still going to be questions of exchange rates, dollars to Bitcoin. Or mm-hmm. thank you, I was having um, a quite visible brain cramp where I could not think of the word cryptocurrencies, which also reinforces this is not something I spend much time thinking about. I probably pronounce half of them incorrectly anyway. So oh, the know. names of the different. I think I called it Doggy like, Coin, Dodgy Coin, Do- Doge Coin. What What is it? Because I know Elon Musk was really touting that one. How? What's? Do you know the proper? Oh, wow, way to put me on the spot. Well, I know. I, I think it's I, Doge. Okay. I. But you know what? Here. You're going to correct your, somebody though, and you're well, going to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it just references back to. Um, your thought from earlier, I'll say, it, it's okay to say, I don't know, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Can, but it's the thing, we look it up, we, we, but reading it on Google, we'd have to watch a video and then how do you, who knows if the person is um, saying that right. So, well, Kelly, thank you um, so much for uh, the story and uh, for, for sharing some really interesting thoughts about, you know, overseas um, uh, investing and and transfers. Um, so thank you for sharing that expertise with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. Good. So again, um, to wrap up, our guest has been uh, Kelly Ketchen. She's the country manager at Money Corp. And if you were to ask me, I know you know the answer to this question. I do not have the web address handy. So instead of me saying, I don't know, why don't you push me out of the way and give the correct answer? Awesome. You mean as far as trying to contact me? Or just what, what is Money Corp's website would be a, a simpler way of asking. Yeah, so it's easy. It's moneycorp.com. So M-O-N-E-Y-C-O-R-P.com. All right, very good. I hope people will check that out. And Kelly, thanks thanks again. This has been fun. Thanks, Mark. Have a good day. Well, thanks again to Kelly Cutchin from Money Corp for being a fantastic guest today. For links and show notes, you can go to markgraben.com slash mistake115. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes. 
how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.